Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. As we go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter number seven, we, we're just finishing up. Of course, we're actually not finishing. We're, we're just really getting going on our series, Conquest and Defeat. And uh, it's really a study of the life of David. And we could go through and learn a lot of things uh, about David. Of course, <coughs> excuse me, when we come to 2 Samuel chapter seven, we know, we know what's taking place. Did it just turn right on for you? It hates me. It asked me for a password. Did you type a password in? You didn't? Dude, that's messed up. You guys are, you guys are, Brian, was that a prank joke? Messing with me? Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, what's taking place so far? Well, we know, we know, and if you've been in our series, you'll remember this, that David, uh, 20 years before this, David was anointed king. 20 years ago, there was a shepherd boy, just a young 16 or 17-year-old boy that would be anointed king. But uh, for years, we know for two to three years, things went well for David. For two to three years, he moved up in rank in Saul's army, became one of Saul's generals. And just a young man at the age of 20, I mean, God was really using him to influence even the king. But then the king began to be jealous of David. And what we find is that that King Saul uh, pursuing after David and multiple times seeking to kill David and, and David fleeing for his life. And, and you can go and study 1 Samuel. David has, had his ups and downs, didn't he? David had his time of saying, God, I trust you. And, and then he had his times like in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number uh, 26, I think it is, where he said, there's, there's no better thing for me than to flee to the Philistines. And uh, God's forsaken me. Saul's forsaken me. I'm going to flee to the enemy. And, and David made some of those choices as well. But what you find in 2 Samuel is the beginning of it is 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul's dead. Saul's dead and the people of Judah, they, they come to David and they say, hey, David, we recognize you as the rightful king. And David, uh, he assumes the throne of the southern kingdom, really just one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And Ishbosheth, those of you who've been with us, Ishbosheth became really the puppet king that was set up by Abner. Remember Abner, that man who wanted control, that man who really, uh, really he was just an arrogant leader within Saul's army, and, and Abner who had potential for the Lord, and yet he followed the, the leadership of Saul, Saul being controlled by pride. Now Saul's off the scene, and we find Abner controlled by pride. I want to caution all the leaders in here. Leaders need to be aware of how we lead people, whether you're a dad or a teacher whether you're a, a, a wife or just a, a mom, a grandparent, whether you're a teenager who just has little kids that are looking up to you, be careful how you lead people because you never know that they might, they might pick up some of your greatest attributes. And so let's exemplify good attributes that people would be able to pick up. But here's Saul exemplifying this attribute of pride and Abner picked up on it. And so Abner in pride sets up Ishbosheth as that puppet king and you can go and read about the battles that took place, first, or 2 Samuel chapter 2, 2 Samuel chapter 3, the different skirmishes that happened between uh, David and Abner and Ishbosheth and all of the weird little things that took place. But what, takes, what happens is two men come in and they kill Ishbosheth. And they go to report it to David. They're trying to, uh, trying to suck up to David, if you will. And David ends up killing those two. 
He says, hey, you, you lifted your hand against somebody that was a, a, an innocent man in all of this. You had no right to do that. But now the people to the north, they don't have a king. Abner's dead. Ishbosheth is dead. And so now David, he assumes the kingship of the entire people of Israel. And two or three weeks ago, we watched as David would assume that authority. They would come in and say, we, we officially anoint you as king. The third time, we anoint you as king. And after 20 years, David is finally, finally sitting on that throne. And you can imagine David thinking, all right, now we're all done. But that wasn't it. What, what took place next is David attacked Jerusalem took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, and we, we saw that on a little bit of a video during that message, and Joab going in through that canal and sneakily getting into the city and opening up the gates, and David and his men taking Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And then what we saw last week is that David not only won against the Jebusites, but he won against the Philistines, not once, but twice. And then because of now Jerusalem being the capital, what we saw last week is David saying, God, I'm not going to make the same mistake as the generations before. God, I'm not going to make the same mistake as the generations before. Well, what, what mistake did they make? Well, you can go to 1 Chronicles and read about it that David says, God, Saul never really pursued you. And God, I'm going to pursue you, and I recognize that the Ark of the Covenant needs to be in Jerusalem. You see, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, it represented the presence of God. And David understood that, that it wasn't about the Ark, it was about the presence of God. And God, until you become center of our life, your presence will not guide us and your presence will not guide the kingdom. And so that's, that's the decision that David has recently made to, to really center everything on God. And we saw him bring that ark to, uh, to Jerusalem last week. And remember, uh, Michael, his wife, or Michelle, we would say, uh, when she began to look at David as he rejoiced on the ark coming in, and, and she stood there with that spirit that said, how dare you? How dare you do this in kind of a spirit of pride? And David said, give me the opportunity, and I would do it again, because everything I'm doing is for God completely, because if he is not in the center his presence is not going to accompany us. And what a great principle that we learned last week. And if you want God's presence to really walk with you, and no doubt you're here on a Sunday night, no doubt you do. I don't know too many people that give up a Sunday night because they don't want God in their life. I think we're coming to a church on a Sunday night saying, you know what, I want God's presence to guide me. But God's presence will not guide you and it will not guide me unless he becomes center stage. And all too often we leave the main character off of the stage. We leave the, the person who should be guiding all of this, we leave him out. And we learned that principle last week, put God's center in your life, and then God's presence will guide your life. Well, today we pick up 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to work our way through the entire chapter. I will say this tonight, and I'll repeat it in a few minutes. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Word of God. 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Word of God, and you're going to see why tonight. So let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and stand with me if you would. And we want to come to verse number 1. Just going to read three verses to start tonight. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. 
we read this. And it came to pass when the king, when David, the king, sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a, a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Nathan, the prophet, he said to the king, go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. What we see starting just to kind of set the stage, David, he's at peace, he's at rest. Though this peace and rest would not last for a long time, he's at peace right now. And he's sitting there in Jerusalem in his newly built house, this house that he spared no expense on, David sitting inside of it, and, and he thinks to himself, man, I'm in, a, I'm in a house of cedar. At that time, cedar would be the, the priciest wood that you could build with. And I'm in the most expensive house. I'm in an elaborate house. Wow, look at what we've done. And yet the ark of God is sitting in a tent in the tabernacle. And I, I think, and I want you to pay attention to it, because the, the, spirit by which, well, the spirit by which David comes across in verse number two is, I think that I can do something great for God by building a house for him. I, I think that I could really impress God by building a house for him. I'm going to ask you a question, we'll pray, and then give you the answer to the question. But have you ever tried to do something with the best of intentions, and you found out that it was the wrong thing to do? You had the best of intentions. You meant it well, but it was the wrong thing to do. We're going to discover David having that experience tonight. And I think it'll be a help to us. And so let's pray, and then we'll get right into the word. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you want to use it to speak to us. And I pray that tonight we would have clarity from the Bible. I pray, God, that you would help the words not to be my words, but to be yours. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this passage, that you would really just help us to see uh, the principles that are outlined and some truths that we can learn for this week. And and God, I pray that you'd uh, help us to, uh, to respond as you speak to us. And we love you, Lord, and we're looking forward to how you work tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I asked the question, have you ever tried to do something with the best of intentions but found out later it was probably uh, not the best thing to do? I can remember times, and we, we've all probably been there, but I can remember times early on in our marriage and probably still to this day where I'm guilty of this, where I'm guilty of, of having the best of intentions in doing something, but it probably wasn't the brightest idea. I can remember when we were first married, our first and second, third year of marriage. Of course, we were in college for our first two years of marriage, and then I went on staff as a youth pastor uh, at, at the church that my dad pastored at. And you know what? Those first few years of marriage, like most couples, uh, we did not have a lot. We, we, I, I was working 40 or 50 hours a week with uh, jobs in college and just trying to make ends meet and, and paying bills. And I was learning about the, the cool word now is adulting. 
that wasn't the word then. It was just like grow up. That was the word that we had. And I remember just learning about that. But Hannah would go grocery shopping. And I remember specifically uh, a few times when we lived in Oklahoma City and we lived in this little, honestly, our apartment. I, I don't think, and Hannah might correct me, I, I don't think I'm wrong to say that our living room, dining room, kitchen, and entry area was the size of this platform. And then, the, and then we had two 10 by 10 bedrooms off of that. That was it. It was two 10 by 10 bedrooms and this. And Hannah would go grocery shopping. And she would come home. And at the time, I mean, she would, she would spare no expense. And she would spend $50 on groceries. 50 bucks. Remember those days? $50. And it was like, this $50 had better get us through for 13 days. And I remember a few times when she would go and, and she'd buy something special. And she'd maybe spend ten or twelve dollars on one thing, and maybe, maybe it was a, a, a nice ham that she was going to cook, or or she was going to make shrimp Alfredo. I love I love shrimp Alfredo. You know Alfredo with noodles and shrimp, and just I, I could eat that anytime. And she'd go and she'd buy certain things like that. Well, she'd be at work, and I'd be sitting at home, and I'd be hungry. At the time, her brother was living with us, and him and I would be sitting there thinking, man. There's shrimp in there. Hey, you know what? Let's save her from cooking us dinner tonight, and let's just eat the shrimp right now. It'll be fine. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And so then him and I would sit down, and we'd bust open that ham or break open those shrimp, and we'd just eat it. She'd come home, hey, you don't need to make dinner tonight. We, we, just, we just ate what was in the fridge. And my intention was, number one, to feed me. But number two, my, my intention was I, wanna, I want her, her not to have to spend time cooking a whole meal. And, and she would come in and she'd say, babe, I, we have people coming over tonight for dinner. And I was going to make shrimp alfredo. We have, we, have, we have company coming tonight. And that, that ham was, was for our company. And we don't have any more money to buy another ham. We'll just order pizza. We don't have money to order pizza. And I had the best intentions, but it probably wasn't the best decision I could have made. Wasn't the best way to go about it. You know what? In the Christian life, there's often times when you and I, we have the best intentions. They're not wrong. They're not necessarily sinful. We have the best intentions but those best intentions are not God's plan. Does that make sense? In our passage in 2 Samuel chapter number 7 tonight, David, really, I think that if you just read 2 Samuel chapter number 7, just, just kind of a, um, a surface reading, you would say, man, David's trying to do a great thing. I mean, he, he's... He's trying to build the house of God. He's trying to, he's trying to build a building to, to maintain the, the tabernacle or to maintain the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. He's trying to build the temple. That's what David's trying to do. There's, that's a noble cause, isn't it? But what we're going to find is God coming to David and saying, David, good intentions, but not my plan. 
I want you to notice a few thoughts with me tonight. First off, I want you to notice David's desire. David's desire. When we come to these first three verses, we can find David's desire. I mean, he's now the king over that united kingdom, over Judah and over uh, uh, the, nor- the northern 11 tribes of Israel. And so really, David just kind of is set. And when you come to verse number one, we find that his house is built, that house that they used that they built for years, uh, spending time and no expense and sending over uh, overseas to get equipment and to get things to build and getting the best material for the house and the best lumber for the house and the best gold for the house. And David spared no expense for his house. That's now built. You can go to the book of First Chronicles and, and you can find a lot of this in, in chapters 11 through 15, everything that took place uh, in building David's house. And so David's sitting back, God's given him rest, and, and it says in verse number two that David sits back and he says to Nathan, he says this phrase, see now, see now. That phrase, see now, it, it means, hey, hey Nathan, I, I want you to look at this, pay attention to this. And he says, see now, I'm living in a house of cedar. Hey, look, look at what I've done. Hey, David, look at what I've, or Nathan, look at what I've built. And then he says, but God, God abides in curtains or within a tent. In David saying this, we're going to see it in just a minute. He's, he's kind of having this spirit of a little bit of pride, a little bit of pride of Hey, David, hey, hey, Nathan, look at all we've done. Look at everything that we've accomplished. We're at rest. I'm in a good house. But, but God doesn't have a house. Now, again, I want us to understand something. I think it's a noble cause to want to build God's house. I mean, I, I really think we could look at this and we could say, David's trying to do something well. But what we read God saying to him in just a minute is God saw his heart. God saw the intentions that David had. And David's plan, what was, what was David's, uh, David's desire? Well, his desire was, look at what I'm going to do for God. Can I say this tonight that at times we need to be careful in our life that We don't allow our heart to get set upon focusing on on things that we can do for God. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Well, if we're not careful, at times we can approach God with the attitude of, hey, God, check out what I'm about to do for you. Hey, hey, God, look at what I'm about to accomplish. And it may be a good thing. I've said this before regarding our church. Uh, I think I said it a number of weeks ago regarding the, the building and the property. Uh, I know I'm having to protect my own heart from, from the spirit of saying, hey, God, look at what we're doing for you in, in buying property. And hey, God, look at what we're going to do for you. You say, why do we need to be careful of that? Because if we're not careful, we become self-reliant. We become uh, um, led by our own intentions but not God's plan. And David's desire in this was, God, I, I am going to build you a house. Verse number three, Nathan. Nathan the prophet, he just says, okay, do everything that's in your heart. 
Hey, if it's in your heart to build, then, then go do it. But notice verse number four. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying. You know what happened that night? Is God showed up and said, hey, uh, hey Nathan, David showed you his desire. Now, I, I want to show you my plan. David, uh, Nathan, I want to show you my plan. We see, first of all, tonight, David's, David's desire. But secondly, what's God's plan? God showed up that night. He didn't waste any time. And typically, in those days, God would come and he would speak to the prophet. And that prophet then would go tell the people. And from verse 5 all the way down through verse number 17 is the message that God wanted David to hear and the people. I stated this a moment ago, but... 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5, all the way through verse number 17 is one of the most important passages in all of the Word of God because what's written here is what we call the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. It's God making a promise to David. Let's just take a minute and kind of walk through these verses. Verse number 5. <clears throat> hey, Nathan, go tell David, my servant, tell him this. Thus saith the Lord, shalt thou... Build me an house, or build an house for me to dwell in. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not? Me and house of cedar. Well, what's God saying to Nathan? To we'll just say to what's God saying to David? He's saying, "Hey, David, for all these years since we came out of Egypt, I, I've dwelt in a tent. Have I ever, have I ever asked anybody to build me a house of cedar? Hey, hey, David." When he says that phrase right in verse number five, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Hey, David, let me ask you a question. Do you think you can build something big enough that can contain me? There's another portion of scripture where God says to the people of Israel, the temple that you've built for me, it's not even worthy to be my footstool. And this is something that would be covered in gold, immaculate. So here's God coming to David and saying, uh, have I at all dropped a hint about this? Have I at all said that I need four walls and a bunch of decorations? Have I, have I ever said to anybody that I want a tent to dwell or a, a building to dwell in? Notice verse eight and nine. Now, therefore, now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant, David. All right, Nathan, you got that written down? Now say this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and I have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I... I I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, 
that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. You see what God is saying to David in these verses in in verse uh, four or verse five, all the way down through verse number 11. He's saying, hey, David, hey, you you think that you're, you're accomplishing a lot. But David, I've never asked you to build me a house. I've never asked my people to build me a house. And David, I want you to remember something. I knew you when you were a nobody. I knew you when you were a shepherd. And yet I picked you up and I made you king, ruler over my people. We don't have time to dissect the wording here, but when you read about David being king of Israel, many times when God is speaking to David about being king of Israel, God doesn't say, I made you the king of Israel. He usually says something like, I made you the king of Israel over my people. Because if you go all the way back to when God was establishing that David would be king, he told David, I'm putting you on the throne to bless people. I'm putting you on the throne to be a blessing to people and to invest in people. And so then God makes a statement to David. And it's at the end of verse number 11. Hey, David, you want to build a house. But actually what's happening, David, is I'm building a house. I never asked you to build me a house, David. No, 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 no. I'm building a house. Well, what kind of house are you building, God? Verse number 12. And when thy days shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, when you die, I'll catch these verses, so cool. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Hey, David, when you die, I'm actually gonna raise up seed from you, from your bowels. It's not an adopted child, not a servant, not a stepchild. It's gonna be your child, and I'm gonna put him on the throne. Verse 13, he's the one who's actually gonna build a house for me, for my name, But notice the last part of verse number 13. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy, catch verse 15 and 16, my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before thee and thine house. Remember, David wanted to build a house for God. God says, no, I'm gonna build a house. Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. I don't have the time to go into this, and really we could spend a whole message on the Davidic covenant. But what we read here is God promising the Messiah through the line of David. God promising a king that will sit on the throne of Israel, of God's people, 
a king that will be established forever. Well, you and I, we have the canon of scripture. We can look to it and we can know that king, he's Jesus. And you can go to the book of Revelation, you can read about this, you can go to some of the old prophecies and you can read about the king being established forever. But remember what what was said to Jesus? Thy throne, O God, is established forever. You know what God was promising to David in these verses? God was promising, hey, David, I'm going to, yeah, you're going to have a son. He is going to build me a temple. But David, I'm not thinking about temples and buildings. No, 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 no. David, my plan is way further down the road than this. David, I'm going to use you to build a kingdom. And David, through your bloodline, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's going to come. You see, David's intention was, God, I'm going to build you a house of stone and a house of wood. And God says, David, I've got way more in store than just a building. You see, David, you're, you're interested in building a house. David, I'm going to actually build a kingdom. You see, David's plan was good intentions, but God's plan was about eternity. And what I see when I come to this passage tonight is the fact that David, he had his mind set upon what he was going to do for the Lord, and I'm going to build a house for the Lord, but God's plan was not just a building, it was a kingdom. And if we're not careful, we can be like David and we can get our minds set upon what we want, to do to, we want to do for God, but we give minimal thought to what God wants. And we find in this passage, God trying to help David understand, hey, you can plan and you can have good intentions, but David, you need my plans. David, you're, you're going about this all the wrong way. David, yes, yes, building me a house might be a good thing. Your son's going to do that, and I will allow you to prepare for that day. And you can go read the other passage in 1 Chronicles 17 of everything that God more says to him. I, I'll, I'll let you be involved in this, but David, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in a house of wood. I'm interested in an eternal kingdom. I want you to notice tonight, just very quickly, a couple of lessons that we can learn from this passage. Before we move on to this last few thoughts tonight, we've got to remember that what is spiritual is much more important than what is physical. Spiritual things are much more important than physical things. And if we're not careful, we can emphasize what we can do instead of who God is. I mean, it, it was for God to build the house of God. It was in the name of God, but at the end of the day, it comes down to David's planning and David's resources and David's desire. And Nathan says to David, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And, and Nathan, I, I kind of give Nathan a little bit of credit here because I think Nathan's trying to be a leader, say, man, David, this is a good thing. But he didn't say, do all that God has placed in thine heart. He says, hey, David, do all that's in your heart. The Lord's with you. But then God shows up that night to come to Nathan and say, hey, 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 slow your roll, buddy. Hey, Nathan, slow things down a little bit. Nathan, I, I didn't put it in his heart. You know, one of the lessons that God was teaching to 
David is that what's spiritual is more important than what, fit, what is physical, and your relationship with God is more important than what you do for God. What is spiritual is more important than what is physical, but secondly, people are more important than buildings. People are more important than buildings. David had this big idea, I'm going to build this big, big building for God, and God said, no, David, I, I'm going to build people. David, I'm building an, an eternal kingdom, not made with wood. No, it's made with people. People are more important than buildings. The eternal is more important than the temporal. You see, what God wants to do in eternity is far more valuable than what you and I want to accomplish the here and now. And if God didn't intervene, David would have missed it. I mean, this is the Davidic covenant promised to David. Hey, the Messiah will be in your family line. And if David would have just ignored Nathan, man, he could have missed that promise. And lastly, on this thought is that God works through generations. I think that's a point that, that God is trying to get through to David. David, you're trying to establish a building right now to, to, for me to show my glory. And David, good intentions. But David, I'm planning a 1,000 years from now and 2,000 years from now. And David, your good intentions are not following my plan in eternity. And I want to say this about God working in generations, that sometimes God has it where we remain faithful for a generation so that our kids or grandkids will see the revival. And I'm, I'm being honest thinking about this right now with our church. God may have it that our church and that this generation of our church, that we step out and that we work on getting a property and building so that the next generation has an incredible lighthouse to reach people for Jesus. And some of us in here, and I genuinely mean it, not just for our recycled teenagers that would say, that have said to me, Pastor, I know I'm going to be gone before we get in that new building. And I've had people say that to me. Listen, I could be gone before we get in that new building. We don't know what's going on, but here's the thought. God is interested in keeping things around that will last for generations. But you know what we do? We get caught up in what's going to last for me. What, what is, what's going to help me? What's gonna, what can I do right now? And God's helping David understand, I work through generations. Notice very quickly tonight, I see David's plan is building this temple, and God says, no, I've got a bigger plan. Well, what's David's response? I see a twofold response. We won't read all of the passage. You can go read it later. But a twofold response, verse number 18 and 19, then went King David in and he set before the Lord. David gets it. And he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet, this is a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great, great while to come. And it is the manner of man, O Lord God. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? You know, David's first response was, it was a response of humility. Do you know why I believe that David is, he's getting that God is promising something for eternity is because I don't think David is just completely broken up that his son gets to build the temple. 
For years, I read it that way, that, that David was like, hey, God, I want to build a temple for you. And God's like, no, David, Chronicles, you're a man of war. You got blood on your hands. You're, you're not going to do this, but I'll use your son. And then I thought for years that David's like, oh, wow, how amazing. My son gets to build the temple. And that, that could be a good response. But David, that's not the response that David has is not, wow, my son gets to build a temple. The, David, the, the response that David has is, wow, God, you've got way more in store than I thought. I, I was focusing on a building, and you're looking, you're looking at, at forever. God, who am I that I would be named in the lineage of the king of kings? His response is a response of, of humility, I see is the response of humility, but also then the response of surrender. Verse 20 and 21, <clears throat> David speaking, what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all these great things to make thy servant know them. If you go, whenever God refers to David, Often in scripture, he doesn't call him king. God usually called David a shepherd or David the son of Jesse or David the servant or David a man after God's own heart. You know what David was doing in this passage? You can highlight those phrases of thy servant. He says it a couple of times in there. David gets it. He says, God, who am I that you would do this? I recognize who you are, and God, I surrender. God, I, I'm the servant. I had big plans, but I realized that I, I'm not the master. I, I'm, I'm the servant. He was surrendering to the plan of God. I wonder tonight, what is your response when God's plans are different than what you had in mind? What is your response when God's plans are different than what you have in mind? I, I think tonight that we've all been there. We've all been there at the place where we've had one plan and God said, no, that's, that's not what we're doing. No doubt we've been there as kids. You remember growing up and you had a plan and you had things lined out and your mom and dad said, no, no, that's not how it's going to work out. No, we're not going to do that. I know Hannah has told the story before. I, I might have even told it before, but growing up with her dad, uh, Pastor Greg Perkins, he would, he would take them out for ice cream. He'd take them out for ice cream, and he would, say, he would say to Hannah, he'd have his bowl of ice cream, and she'd just have one scoop. And he'd say to her, hey, give me your scoop of ice cream. And she'd go, but dad, this is my scoop of ice cream. I only have one scoop. And he'd say, Hannah, do you, do you trust your dad? Well, yeah, Dad, I trust you, but I really want my ice cream. Well, just, just give me your ice cream. But, Dad, I really want to, and her intention is, I want to eat this ice cream. And Dad says, no, 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 trust Dad. Give me your scoop. She'd say, okay, Dad. And she'd give Dad her scoop. Dad's plan was different than hers. But you know what? Usually, Dad would say, hey, thank you for giving me your scoop. Now, here's my four scoops. I'm giving back to you. You see, if we're not careful in the Christian life, listen, we can be content 
with our one scoop of ice cream. We can be content with the little things that we can do for God. We can be content with the little things and the little accomplishments that we make for God. And God is sitting there saying, hey, would you, would you surrender? Would you turn in your plans? And to be honest, if, if we turn in our plans, you know what we can count on? We can count on the fact that his plans are always greater. They may not go the way we think they, they should, but they always go better than we probably ever dreamed they would. What is David's response? It's a response of humility. It's a response of surrender. And I close tonight by pointing out David's new desire. Remember, we started the passage, and it's, God, I'm going to build a great house for you. And God says, hey, I never asked you to do that. I never instructed you to do that. I never told the people to do that. David, you're thinking about a physical house, but I'm building a kingdom. And David says, wow. Wow, God, the king through my lineage. God, I surrender. God, I humble my heart. And then notice David's new desire. We won't read all of the verses, but verse 22 through 29, it's a beautiful psalm of praise to God. But right in the middle of it, David says this. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever. And do as thou hast said, and let thy name be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy, David, of thy servant David be established forever. You know, David's saying in these two verses, he's saying, all right, God, I get it. And I have a purpose now. I have a new desire now. God, please keep your word. I know you will. And so God, here's the promise I'm gonna make to you. You said you're gonna establish my kingdom, my house forever. God, here's the, here's the commitment I make. I'm in this for your name to be magnified. God, now it's, it's all about you. If you know the life of David, this decision that David made, it was not just a one-time decision. He continually came back to it. And the same truth is, is uh, the same thought, the same principle is truth in your life and mine even to this day. That this week, every day needs to be a day where you wake up and say, God, I want today your name to be magnified. God, I want this week your name to be magnified. God, I, I have some intentions. God, I have some desires. But God, this week, I just want you to be lifted up. I want your plans. And now David's new desire, it's changed. And it changed because his perspective changed. You see, before, David was thinking about what he wanted to accomplish with God. And now David's thinking, God, what do you want to accomplish through me? God, what do you want to accomplish with me? God, it's not me doing something for you. It's you doing something with me. God, using me for your glory. And one way of thinking, oftentimes we have our way of thinking that says, God, I am going to. And God says, no, no, that's a good intention. But my plan is something greater. And what I'm looking for is for you to just surrender, humble your heart, be a servant, and have the goal of magnifying me. And I hope tonight that we would have the spirit that says, God, I'm willing to be whatever. 
God, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm willing to go wherever. I'm willing to serve however. God, I just want your name to be lifted up. I just want you to receive all the honor and the glory. God, I just want you to be magnified. I love verse 26. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts, he's the God over Israel. And that last phrase, let the house of thy servant David be established before thee, he's saying, and God keeps his word. I'm gonna glorify him I want people to recognize his position as the Lord, as uh, the Lord of hosts over Israel. But I also want to admit tonight that he keeps his word. And you and I, we know from the New Testament that God did keep his word. And there is a king that one day will reside upon the throne, the throne of David, the throne over God's people, Israel. And that man is the man, Jesus Christ. And he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And it was promised in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. As we close tonight, I just want to ask you a question. And that question is this week. This week, do you want to go through the week with your intentions? Or do you want to go through the week following God's plan? I don't know about you, but I want to go through this week not just with what I can do for God. I want to go through this week saying, God, what's your will this week? God, what's, what's the decisions you want me to make this week? You say, well, pastor, how do we know God's plan over my intentions? You ready? If you've been at Moses Lake Baptist Church for any length of time, this answer is going to be very clear. It's right here. You want to know God's plan for your life this week? It's getting in the word of God, putting him first on the throne of my heart, magnifying him, but it all comes from walking in this. And you know how we get off on our intentions? We get off on our intentions when we get away from his word. And for the believers of the New Testament, we need to understand that God's plans are shown to us daily through God's word. So I want to encourage you this week, have a mindset that says, God, help me not to just have my intentions, but to be surrendered to your plan and to magnifying your name. God, help me to stay in your word and help me to keep magnifying you. God's intentions, or excuse me, good intentions versus God's plan. I hope this week that we would choose God's plan. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.